Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Greetings, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. We got lots to talk about on the presidential front. And I want to talk about some of those other candidates before I get into I would much rather talk about something pleasant than something not pleasant. I don't know how pleasant it is, but I'm kind of tired of talking about the left and the insanity and and everything that's happened in the last week or so. Let me just say this. Before I get into all that other stuff, I have had more people in the last week tell me they finally get what Donald Trump meant by calling the press the enemy of the people than any other time. A lot of my friends, the common strain is they're Christians. They take their faith seriously. They didn't care for, a lot of them didn't support Donald Trump uh, either once or twice. And they've tended to consider themselves fair-minded, reasonable people who don't get whipped into a frenzy about politics or anything. And, I mean, I can't tell you the number of them. More than a dozen in different conversations over the past week have said they really are the enemy of the people, the press. And, And this comes after the Nashville shooting within the Christian community. Uh, seeing how the press has made the shooter the most sympathetic mass shooter in American history and been over backwards to apologize for uh, misgendering pronouns and the like on the shooter and expressing sympathies to the trans community and pivoting immediately to suggest that Governor Bill Lee of Tennessee was to blame for the shooting for signing legislation that blocks trans surgeries for minors. I mean, just the number of people who have come forward to me in the last week and said, ah, yeah, Trump was right. They really are the enemy of the people. They really have crossed a Rubicon of sorts when it comes to how they cover the news and treat people in this country. Uh, The radicalization on the right among reasonable non-Trump supporting Christians over how the media itself handled the school shooting last week is something to behold. We may get back to that, um, but I want to talk about the um, 2024 campaign because of who and who is not out there. Tim Scott. Let's start with Tim Scott. There was actually a a report today from the Post and Courier uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, Headline, Tim Scott Super PAC hires two South Carolina political operatives as Senator I's presidential bid. Uh, Opportunity Matters Fund Action, which is a pro-Scott Super PAC, has hired Matt Moore and Mark Knopp as state chairman and state director, respectively, in South Carolina. Uh, Now, Matt Moore is actually a longtime friend of mine. He was the chairman of the South Carolina Republican Party for a good long time. Managing partner at First Tuesday Strategies, a South Carolina political shop. Uh, really, really think the world of that guy. And I know he and Tim Scott like each other a ton. He's also a big Nikki Haley fan, but he's going with Tim Scott. And he's not just a great South Carolina operator. He's got a great sense nationally of politics. So Tim Scott hiring uh, him, uh, Matt Moore, for his super PAC, 
means Tim Scott really is serious about running for president. I don't know Mark Knott, but he's got a great reputation as well. Uh, so Scott continues to build. It sounds very much like Scott wants to run for president. And I will tell you behind the scenes from what I'm told is that Tim Scott has a sense that there's an opening for the happy warrior. Now, listen, I, I know there are friends of mine who want this to be Trump versus DeSantis, everyone else get out of the way. And I'm very sympathetic to that, although I see room for more than just two candidates and room for multiple messages. Uh, yeah, I think we can get too far, like Asa Hutchinson entering the race. I don't understand why Asa Hutchinson is during the race. Even Larry Hogan realized there's really no room for him. Chris Christie is trying to decide if there's room for himself and hasn't made up his mind. I don't understand Asa Hutchinson getting into the race. It makes no sense to me other than he's got nothing better to do and he wants to attack Trump and, and claim some happy warrior message. And the happy warrior lane is the lane that Tim Scott is going to run in. It makes sense for Scott to do it because people know him. Nobody knows who Asa Hutchinson is. So Tim's doing that. Now, Nikki Haley, also from South Carolina, is, uh, what is it, the Republican Jewish Alliance or Republican Jewish Coalition, uh, they have come out and endorsed Nikki Haley. Uh, it's a great donor group. Haley has cultivated relationships within the Jewish community for a while now. Uh, she has spoken uh, at a number of groups. Like I, I moderated a discussion with her about her last book at a uh, event at a um, Jewish uh, center in Atlanta funded by Bernie Marcus and um, uh, what's his name? Um, Arthur Blank of the Home Depot. And she has built ties into that community. She's been very strong on Israel when she was in the UN um, ambassador. And they're coming out and they will put money in her camp, which is great. Uh, but there are other candidates out there as well, Mike Pence being one of them. And I'm not sure what Pence is doing. I, I do think that Pence is going to run. The reason I think Pence is going to run is because of his staffing. Uh, so my friend Tim Chapman, uh, I've known for a very long time, he's a great guy, he was with Haley's team in her Super PAC. He's moved over to Pence's team. Uh, and with him is Paul Teller, a longtime friend of mine, longtime aide of Mike Pence. Mark Short is there as well, and they've hired a number of people, Chip Salzman and others, who know how to campaign within the evangelical community and, more importantly, know how to win Iowa. You don't hire these people unless you're in it to win it. And he seems to be. And, of course, the national media and much of the Republican punditry are dismissing Pence. He does, to some degree, with Trump in the race, have a little bit of a tough road to hoe, uh, essentially on the issue of uh, why should we go with you instead of your boss. But he's going to make the case. And Trump has been, for a while, eyeing evangelicals who no longer need Trump. Now, this may be sound a little cruel to people. Just let me explain to you what I'm talking about. And again, this is not me. Um, don't mistake this for my opinion, because it's not really my opinion. This is just the analysis of the situation. You can feel free to disagree with it, but I'm right. Evangelicals don't need Donald Trump in the way they did in 2016. This has flummoxed some of Donald Trump's advisors who expected a lot of these people to immediately rally behind him, and now they are not. 
In fact, a lot of them are flirting with Mike Pence, but also very intrigued by Ron DeSantis on the culture front. The reason evangelicals do not need Donald Trump, and by the way, it's always been transactional. It's always been transactional. These people knew Donald Trump wasn't one of them, except for the diehards. They knew Donald Trump was not a believer. They knew Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump has said repeatedly he's never had the need to repent of anything. Christianity 101, you believe in Christ and repent of your sins. You've got to do both things. And this guy has said he's never had the need to repent. And evangelicals knew it. They got the joke. They were aligning with him because he became the Republican nominee. They needed to beat Hillary Clinton. They felt there was an existential threat against them when you have Barack Obama Uh, going after Hobby Lobby and Little Sisters of the Poor, trying to force them to cover abortions. You've got Antonin Scalia's seat on the Supreme Court open. It could permanently shift to the Supreme Court, at least for generation, shift to the Supreme Court. They had to have Donald Trump, and so they did. And then they got Roe v. Wade overturned. That's what they've wanted the whole time. They wanted Roe v. Wade overturned, and they got it. So now they don't need Donald Trump in the way they needed Donald Trump in 2016. He was as transactional with them as they are being with him. They're open to others. And Pence is a natural fit for some of them. A lot of lot of uh, evangelicals in Iowa have been talking to him. Evangelicals in the South have been talking to him. They all like him. They're just not sure, him or DeSantis. They're not really going for any of the other candidates. Uh, and it's a burden for him to prove that he's the guy they should hitch their wagon to. And I don't know if he will. What's just curious to me is he hasn't announced yet. And for as much chatter as there is about Ron DeSantis announcing and or not, there hasn't been a whole lot of chatter about Pence not announcing yet. Uh, he's doing all the things that suggest a run. My guess, if I had to guess, and I have no insider knowledge here, despite friends of mine working with Pence, is he's probably going to wait for DeSantis. Why announce and a month later have DeSantis step on your coattails when instead DeSantis could announce and then you could step on DeSantis' coattails? And it'll be a really big news story when the former president who is running for president has his former vice president announce he's running for president. The media will make it a big story. So if you just be patient, wait for DeSantis to announce, and then you announce, you generate a big story and, and pull away from DeSantis to a degree. But then there are those two other names that have floated for a while, Pompeo and Youngkin. And they seem to have fallen off the radar, haven't they? My sense from talking to others is that Pompeo may be rethinking running. He had been pretty strident about running and has not been doing a lot of media tours lately, has not been doing a lot of publicity lately, has not been traveling a lot lately. Uh, I I want to get Pompeo to the gathering in August with with DeSantis and Haley and Pence and Scott uh, and Ram- Ramaswamy is going to be there as well. I don't. I still want to. I still want Mike Pompeo to be there. I think Pompeo would be great, particularly as Republicans are assessing foreign policy. There is a need for a substantive conversation on foreign policy. And honestly, if he decides not to run. Uh, That makes his conversation on foreign policy all the more credible because it's not a campaign thing. It's he's he's really does truly think these are the things we need to do, not just the things he must say to build a coalition. But there's no real buzz out there. He doesn't seem to be staffing up more. He doesn't seem to be kicking fundraising into high gear. And that's leading me and others to believe that uh, Pompeo has looked at running for president and decided 
he doesn't really see a lane for himself at this point or it's too much of a burden. Maybe he will change his mind, but he's gone under the radar. Along with Glenn Youngkin, the governor of Virginia, who a lot of people speculated would run. And you saw Jeff Rowe several weeks ago make a statement that seemed very favorable to Ron DeSantis. He walked it back, said it was misunderstood. It wasn't a slight on Glenn Youngkin. If Glenn Youngkin wanted to run, he would be formidable and he would probably win. And a week later, Jeff Rowe, Glenn Youngkin's campaign strategist, goes to DeSantis's camp. Youngkin's pollster, the only guy who polled Virginia accurately, by the way, everybody had Glenn Youngkin losing except his own pollster, Chris Wilson, told him he was going to win, told him why. Youngkin believed him, continued to pour money in, and won. And Chris Wilson has gone to the DeSantis Super PAC along with Jeff Rowe. Kind of suggests Youngkin's not going to win. Or run, rather, run. And then there's Vivek Ramaswamy, who is in it to win it. He's been going after DeSantis lately on some of the woke stuff, which is interesting. Uh, He's going to be at the gathering in August couple of people, one in particular, one member of the Senate told me uh, his impression is that Ramaswamy is running the most expensive campaign for a cabinet seat ever, uh, regardless of how you characterize it. He's got to boost his name ID. He's not polling very high. He's got a lot of money he can throw into the race, but he's only got so much still. It may be a lot, but not enough to fund a full presidential campaign. And I don't know how his fundraising is going. I will tell you this. We now have numbers from Jason Miller about Donald Trump. Since his indictment last week, Donald Trump has raised $7 million, $7 million in just a handful of days since the indictment. But I'll tell you, one of the people who is running for president texted me and said, is that it? Makes you wonder. Howdy, welcome. It's Eric Erickson here across the nation, 877-973-7425. Wayne, you're going to be up next on the Eric Erickson Show. Welcome. Hi, Eric. Uh, glad to talk to you again. I live down here in Houston County, Georgia. Uh, first question I guess I would have is I can't find you on the radio anymore, so I listen to you on the, the podcast, and I suppose I could do- download the uh, 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 link that you have to listen to it live, but I was wondering if you're on the radio. And the second uh, one is I am not in middle Georgia at the moment. I, I, I hope to be back there. Oh, okay. Well, then the second question, I'll listen to it on that podcast for your uh, information on it. I was wondering if you could allude to any possible avenues for teaching gun safety in public schools, considering we teach sex education and all sorts of other things uh, that we argue uh, benefit the children and society. I think as the Second Amendment is a constitutional right, I don't see it going away unless we call a constitutional convention. So I think the best thing we can do is adjust to the times and start teaching kids gun safety, uh, especially if parents are not going to. Uh, and with that, yeah, I'll like, let you go. Look, uh, yeah, and, and by the way, uh, Wayne, if, if you do, when you get off here, if you text E-R-I-C-K to 33777, you can get that live link. Uh, in fact, if you text okay. Eric to 33777 right now, get the live stream link, and there's like a 30-second delay, so you'll be able to hear me live answering your question instead of waiting for the podcast. I wish... I wish we had uh, gun education in schools. We have sex education in large part uh, because the left insisted on it. Why not do uh, education about guns in school? And if you're worried about, well, we don't want live rounds in school, you don't have to have live rounds in school to teach gun safety. My wife and I, you know, my wife is actually the super, super 
pro-Second Amendment person in our family. I am not. Uh, guns are a, a tool in our house, um, given security issues with my family in the past, and we thought we needed to get educated on them, and we took a lot of training. There were some great courses we've taken uh, to improve our shooting. There are some great groups out there that can help you with your shooting. We've gone to gun ranges and gotten classes as well. It just seems like, uh, particularly in the southern states, guns are a way of life for people. I'll never forget my wife has a friend, a very good friend, who's uh, very much to the left of my wife and me and very anti-gun. And she commented that she did not want her kids touching a gun. And my wife's reply to her was that uh, given the ages of her sons and who their friends are, she actually should get her son trained on gun safety, not because of his use of guns, but because of others people, other people's guns, that he's inevitably going to be at a friend's house where there are guns, and she should probably get her son some street smarts about guns other than just saying don't touch it because when you tell a kid not to touch something, they're going to want to touch it. And getting them educated is probably a, a good thing, and I, I do think it's a good thing. wouldn't work everywhere in the country. Some people wouldn't have it. Um, but it seems like it'd be a good option besides having some sort of rifle team or something on, in schools. Uh, just teach kids basic safety. Um, okay, we got to move on. Uh, I, I do want to turn to this madness with the left right now, some of the cultural issues with the left between what Bud Light has done and country music television and, and others and this, this embrace of uh, trans issues after the Nashville thing, the signaling that it's sending to people is pretty terrible. You are listening to the Eric Erickson Show. Our phone lines are now busy, if you call. It's not that I don't want to hear from you. I, I would be happy to hear from you, but I can't. You see, there's been a water main break at the preschool where the call screener's children are, and he has had to go get his kids from uh, preschool because the building is flooding. <laughs> when it rains, it pours. Oh, my. Okay, uh, that's fine. I will just have to entertain you myself instead of having callers uh, rescue me from myself. I'll do my best to not disappoint you. I don't drink Bud Light. I think it's garbage beer. I'm a Miller Lite person. It has a better taste. Uh, it, it just, it does. I'm sorry. I, I, I know the IPA drinkers like, I can't believe you drink the water that's flavored water. I drink an IPA. Do you know, actually, uh, lagers and pilsners are harder types of beers to brew than IPAs. What is an India Pale Ale? What's an IPA? An IPA is a beer that was designed uh, to be easily brewed and stored uh, in varying temperatures so sailors could have beer in their journeys around the British Empire, particularly from India. Pilsner and lagers have to have precise temperature control. That's why when you get started as a home brewer, it's easier to make an IPA than it is to make a Pilsner or lager. You don't have to worry about all the temperature controls. Uh, I personally find them more refreshing and less bitter. I don't particularly care for fruity-flavored beers. I don't want fruit in my beer. Um, there's a uh, brewery near me called Fall Line 
And the motto on their lager is beer that tastes like beer. Thank you very much. That's exactly what I want. <laughs> I don't want Bud Light. Um, I, I just, I think Bud Light is gross. I don't like the flavor of it. I never have. I'm always disappointed when I go to sports venues and it's the, it and Budweiser, the only two you can buy because they're gross. Don't like them. Sorry, Governor Kemp. Um, my governor in Georgia is a Budweiser guy. I'm like, nope, nope, don't like it. Don't want it. Um, Shinerbach, Yingling, Miller Lite, um, lots of local breweries, but I don't want Bud Light, which has decided to make a special can for that Dylan person, the gay actor who decided for attention to become transgender. And what's so notable about that guy is that he has embraced the stereotypical aspects of femininity. I want to pause here and say something. Um, My wife is fundamentally amazing. My wife has a lung cancer for which there is no known cure. And when we went to the beach two weeks ago for spring break, she went to a strongman gym in Hilton Head and by the end of the week had worked herself up to carrying like 475, 490 pounds on her back on a yoke carry. Uh, And today she got out of her comfort zone and went to a local strongman gym where we live to learn powerlifting. She wants to build up her upper body strength. And she did it in part, and she won't mind me saying this, is when she was diagnosed with an incurable form of lung cancer, it kind of felt like a death sentence to her. Uh, They put her on a medicine that would last for two years, and here she is six years in. The medicine is still working. And having basically resigned herself to not seeing our oldest graduate, she's now like, uh, screw cancer. I'm going to live my life. When we first got married, she had to have a double mastectomy. Uh, Her family has an awful, awful, awful history of breast cancer. And she had a double mastectomy right after we got married. I'll never forget what it was. It was uh, inauguration day of 2001. We got married in October of 2000, October 14th, 2000. January 20th, 2021, my wife is getting a double mastectomy. uh, And they couldn't actually do the full process And she spent six months going through a reconstruction process that had to be repeated four times over the next several years. Then she gave birth to two children. Her health started failing, and she decided to be a stay-at-home mom, and I was blessed with a, a job that paid enough money that she could do it. And we haven't really had to struggle in that regard. We've struggled in other ways, particularly with her health. Uh, Carrying my wife back and forth to the doctor over the years, going every three months now for her lung scans. And I say that to say that my wife is a great wife and a great mother and has lived the life of a woman that this Dylan guy will never live. And it's appalling to me, the vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, and Bud Light, would celebrate this guy becoming a woman and being 365 days a woman when he has it. He'll never have to worry about menstrual cycles. 
He will never have to worry about ovarian cancer or uterine issues. He will never be able to birth a child. He will never live his life the way a woman has lived her life. And the only reason we take him seriously is because he's a white dude. I'm actually really shocked at a feminist movement that has demanded equality for years is now totally fine with media outlets making men the women of the year just because they've transitioned to be women. The men are better at being women than the women, according to the media. And again, it tends to be white men. I look at Bud Light, trash beer that it is, the constituency of people who drink Bud Light. And I think, who the hell made this marketing decision to involve themselves in some way to make this guy the face of Bud Light? This man who claims to be a woman who will never live life as a woman. And what I find also notable about his decision to supposedly live life as a woman is he embraces the stereotypes of woman. The makeup, the clothes, the high heels, the big hair. He embraces the stereotypes of femininity femininity from the Barbie dolls. He doesn't actually embrace the life of a woman. He will not be a mother. He will not be a wife. He will not deal with the biological issues of a female. And yet he wants to be proclaimed and celebrated as a woman. You probably should be offended by that. In the quest for equality, I guess we finally reached real equality when men can become celebrated women solely by becoming women when they're not really women. They just have some surgery. And what is the signal to our daughters all of these years of wringing our hands over raising our daughters to be realized that that they are somehow unique and should be celebrated and they should have equality and equal rights and along come a group of dudes and say, hey, we can't compete in men's sports, so we're going to become women. And they all get awards for doing it. And you, the girls of America who can't compete against them, are the new bigots. Played for you on Friday that audio of the anthropologist uh, who was uh, Riley, what's her name, the the swimmer. Uh, She asked him the question of 100 years from now, if if an anthropologist or an archaeologist were to dig up the bodies of two skeletons, one male, one female, would they be able to tell the difference between them? And the anthropologist said no. Turns out this anthropologist is a woke intersectionalist who specializes in grievance studies and is scientifically factual wrong. Any anthropologist or archaeologist can tell you that, yes, there are visible distinctions between a male and a female skeleton, most notably in the pelvic region, and how they are shaped, how the skeletons are shaped. It's anti-science to say otherwise. But this is the madness of the country in which we're currently in. For years, we're told we've got to value women, and now we've devalued them by allowing men to become women and giving them the awards for being the outstanding women. Bud Light's never produced a Bud Light can to promote some woman being a woman all of her life, but one dude decides to live as a woman for 365 days in his best stereotype of a Barbie doll, and Bud Light's willing to create a can, and the vice president of the United States is willing to celebrate the guy for doing it. And CMT in Nashville, Tennessee, a week after six people are murdered at a Christian school, decides 
guys to put on essentially a drag show of transgendered people on stage to promote trans visibility today. The message that is sending to the victims in that school is one of where they aren't the victims there to blame for their own deaths. The tone deafness of the press around this issue. You know, and I know, if the roles were reversed. If it were an evangelical Christian who went into a school that catered towards trans kids and killed them, a week later, every preacher in America would have a cameraman and a news anchor show up and demand they denounce the attack. Instead, the media has chosen to make the shooter the most sympathetic mass shooter in American history and make sure we all know it's the trans community that are the real victims here, not the kids who died at the school in Nashville. We've lost our minds as a society. I just don't know how many people are going to be burned up in the wildfire before it extinguishes itself, and it's starting to divide people more and more. I can't emphasize enough to you guys how radicalizing last week was to a lot of my friends I mentioned earlier, friends of mine who don't like Trump. They didn't support Trump. They don't support Trump. They disagreed with him when he called the press the enemy of the people. Hearing from tons of them, more than a dozen of them in the last week, on how alienating they find the media coverage after the shooting in Nashville, the the, the vilification of uh, people outside the trans community, the willingness to give a pass to Katie Hobbs' press secretary in Arizona who said uh, wanted to shoot transphobes and the like, all of these things happening more and more. The celebration of madness. They're taking over state capitals. You know, in Tennessee, three members of the state legislature voted against a law that would give liability immunity to private schools who hire security. The legislation would have, there are concerns in Tennessee that uh, private schools need clear legislation to allow them to hire uh, security personnel without liability issues. The Tennessee legislature advanced the legislation. Three Democrats opposed it, and then those three Democrats stood up and demanded a reversal of the trans legislation and demanded that they pass gun control legislation in Tennessee. They shut down the state legislative assembly. They ignored the sergeant of arms. They're probably now going to be evicted from the Tennessee legislature on a vote of the Tennessee legislature because they refused when the sergeant at arms instructed them to be quiet, to be quiet. They refused to do it. They ignored him. In fact, they essentially said, listening to authority is white privilege. We're not going to do it. People have lost their minds. And society is the collateral, gets the collateral damage on this stuff. We have conservatives being shut down and chased off campuses when they dare to speak at Stanford and elsewhere. So many people on the left give them a pass. We've now had the Wisconsin legislature, the Texas legislature, now the the Tennessee legislature taken over by left-wing activists who pushed their way in, shoved cops out, and they're not considered insurrectionists. They've been given a pass by the press, treated as heroes for doing it. And then you look at what happened on January 6th, which was nothing different from what happened in those places. And those people are condemned by the media. Oh, but it was Congress. Well, these were democratically elected legislatures too. 
and the media has taken a side and covered for the left on all of these things, has taken the side of the left. It's escalating the divisions in this country. And it's going to continue to accelerate. And I don't know that there's any coming back from it. It is a wildfire. Eventually, wildfires stop. They run out of fuel or rain hits. And that's going to happen in this case, too. I just don't know how much a society is left in charred remains of it before the wildfire burns out or hits some rain. I don't know, but it's becoming more and more obvious in this country that we are at a tipping point, if not crossing it, and there are societal forces on both sides, but particularly in the media and the left that that are upset about this tipping point who continue to push us over it. They don't care about the rule of law unless it's a weapon they can use about the other side. And they don't care about free speech unless it's a tool they can use against the other side. And they don't care about women unless they can give a dude an award for being one. Now, let's move on to brighter things. Patriot Mobile is at least funding the fight back against these folks. They're funding conservatives taking over school boards. They're funding the conservative movement. They're funding the pro-life movement, and they do it with their profits. And the way they grow their profits is they convince you to move your cell phone service to them. You get guaranteed great service from Patriot Mobile, and all you got to do is just call them at 972-PATRIOT. You get 100% U.S.-based customer service. You tell them I sent you. You get free activation, or also you can go to their website, patriotmobile.com slash eric. If you go to patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K, you will see a, a zip code or an address block. You put it in, you put in your address, and it zooms right into your house and shows you how good the 5G coverage is, the data, the voice, all that. You can keep your existing phone number, and if you have an unlocked phone, you can keep it. You take your business to Patriot Mobile. They then grow the conservative movement. You win, and they win, and America wins by advancing the conservative cause. And it's so simple. All you got to do is go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric or call them at 972-PATRIOT. Move your cell phone service to them, and they help grow the conservative movement. Again, it's patriotmobile.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, or call them 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you, and you get free activation at patriotmobile.com. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here, uh, continuing to follow along as Donald Trump's plane approaches New York City. My goodness gracious, um, we are—he's—he's he's somewhere over Maryland at this point. Uh, if I'm following following the map right. Uh, this is going to be a big story. We're going to spend a lot of time on it tomorrow, whether we want to or not. So uh, let me just just uh, back up here for the radio stations across America, of which I've gotten a lot of emails from folks. Here my here's my thinking for tomorrow. We know that he will be arraigned between one and three tomorrow. More likely between two and three o'clock. It will take time to get him processed and fingerprinted and all that. We don't know about the mugshot. What we do know is the Trump team right now is saying there will be no handcuffs. They're, they're not going to do that to him in large part as a security matter. The Secret Service says no way it could impede him if something were to happen and them have to get him out of there. They are working with the uh, Secret Service. Uh, it is also most likely that they will bring him in 
somewhere uh, securely so you're not going to get the photo ops that people want. The question is the mugshot. He doesn't really need to be mugshotted. I mean, can you not tell me what Donald Trump looks like? But people are mugshotted. And so there's a negotiation apparently underway as to whether or not he will be. Uh, if he is, it's a public record. And if it's a public record, he can reproduce that public record because there's no private copyright holder to it. And if there's no private copyright holder to it, he can replicate it, reproduce it, use it, and put his signature on it, turn it into his own art, and sell it and make a mint off of it. He's already raised $7 million. Uh, Going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. We will have a lot of coverage of this tomorrow. We will take your reaction around the country as it's happening, and I may see if I can get some experts in here with me as well. See you all then.